Hello and welcome to The Gist. I'm your host, Chris Vetrano, here every week to break down all the things that are happening in pop culture and interviewing the people that make it pop. Today, you've just got me. It's just going to be you and I. I mean, it's. are you guys feeling this autumn weather? Oh, the fall is my favorite. It's starting to get cooler out. We're getting some gloomy days. I'm loving it. I feel like I'm thriving. I'm coming alive because fall is truly my favorite season. And because it's my favorite season, I figured now was the perfect time to talk about some other favorite things. So as you guys know, if you're longtime listeners or if you're if this is your first time listening, howdy, hello, glad you're here. Um, buckle up. But um, if you're a longtime listener, you know that I am a lover of pop music. And so today we are going to talk about the 15 songs that defined the 90s. Now, this is for me. I don't claim to be Rolling Stone. I don't claim to be Billboard. I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna go head to head with you on some of the stats of like what should have been you know, on the list and what didn't. These are the songs that I picked that defined the 90s for me. But I also think that I have some pretty good ones here that are going to also define the 90s for you. And so, um, yeah, we're going to count down the top 15 songs that define the 90s. And uh, I hope that you agree with some. We're going to talk through some of them. And we're just going to enjoy this fall weather and kick off what is my favorite season this way. Um, So starting with number 15, Man, I Feel Like a Woman by Shania Twain. Guys, are you Shania fans? Because I loved Shania. This is about the time that I started loving Shania because, you know, it was ultimately a country song, but it had this pop flair. She was kind of the first person to really do the Uh, country to pop crossover this successfully. Obviously, like Garth Brooks was really huge and across genres, he kind of was, people became obsessed with who, who he was. But in order for him to really do pop music, you know, he had to come out with a different persona, Chris Gaines. And so, um, you know, he is, he didn't do what Shania did, which is she took her brand, Shania Twain, and she amplified it to the world. And thanks to her producer, Mutt Lang, um, also at the time her husband, you know, who was very famous in the rock world, you know, they they really did it. They created some powerhouse hits. And I feel like it wasn't until, uh, what was the song, That Don't Impress Me Much, that she really, really, like, stuck her claim as a pop star. But to kick all of that off, it was Man, I Feel Like a Woman. And, you know, let's go, girls. When that when that hook comes on or that lyric comes on and you hear Let's Go, Girls, everyone is up. Everyone knows what's about to happen. And it's just, it's an iconic song. And it really, truly defined her crossover. Um, and it's still one of her biggest hits worldwide. So um, in 1997, Shania Twain released Man, I Feel Like a Woman. And that's why I picked it for my number 15 song. Um, coming in at number 14, we have, you know them, Hanson. And of course, if I'm talking about Hanson, the song is Mbop. 
And man, these, uh, I just remember these who a lot of people weren't sure. They were like, are, is it like little girls? Is it boys? It was, you know, their little brothers showing up with their long hair in their garage. Each one of them played an instrument. And, you know, it was kind of like unlike anything we had really seen at the time. Um, it kind of had like this like monkeys, uh, partridge family-ish kind of vibe to it. Um, but man, Mbop was everywhere. And I will go head to head with you on this because I feel like if you were not pretending to know the lyrics to Mbop, then you're lying to yourself because, or you weren't part alive in 1997 when the song came out. But I mean, everybody was just singing along. No one knew any of the lyrics. It was like, you would hear your friend singing it and you'd be like, what? that's what they're saying and the friend you know but clearly it was also not what they were saying and i remember sitting online and pulling up those lyrics or maybe i was looking in the cd booklet i don't even remember where we were in 97 if we had lyrics online but i was looking at these lyrics and i was trying to learn them so like i was trying to memorize them and i just remember they like sang them so fast that it was like even impossible to really sing along. I mean, I can maybe do a little bit of it, but you lose a you lose a lyric here and there. I mean, it was insane. But Mbop is, I mean, and also like I know Hanson has had quite a career. They, I, I feel like just within the last like year or two, they did like a sold out show at the Ryman Auditorium here in Nashville. I mean, they're still they still have a fan base. They still I think release music. But I sort of put them in this like one hit wonder category, which might upset some of you, but I just feel like they never really had another bop. I did have their Christmas album too, by the way, but um, I don't know if I've ever listened to it fully through. Um, but yes, Hanson's bop had to be on my list and uh, it's coming in at number 14. Number 13 Oh, I love this song. Torn by Natalie Imbruglia. Also 97. 97 was a big year for music and apparently music for me. Um, it's not the last time it makes the list. Um, but Torn, oh my gosh, what a song. And it's so, I mean, literally that song comes on today and I just get the nostalgia. I want to be in the hoodie that she's in in the video, Natalie Imbruglia is in and you know Natalie Imbruglia had a bit of a career before Torn and she was an actress and and she was in Australia and she was bigger and she really like had this big song and it was it was actually really impactful in the music industry as well because I mean you couldn't go anywhere without knowing that song obviously you guys whether you were alive in the 90s or not I guarantee you you know Torn in fact, uh, one of my best friends, Cassidy Pope, uh, she sang it as her blind audition song on The Voice that she later won in season three. And so, I mean, it still has a huge impact today, Torn. But something that you may not know about it is it peaked at number one on the Hot 100 Airplay chart, the Billboard Hot 100 Airplay chart, for 11 consecutive weeks. But because she didn't release it as a physical single, because this was back in the day where people release were releasing singles as like CDs, as like a single song on a CD. And 
And because she didn't do that, they would. It, there were rules that prevented it from being uh, allowed to chart on the Billboard Hot 100, which is like insane because for 11 consecutive weeks, you couldn't turn on the radio without hearing it probably multiple times. I mean, it was, it was everywhere. And um, as a result of that song, Billboard changed the rules so that you could now allow uh, songs that are charting on airplay to an airplay to also account for the Hot 100. And so it wasn't just about sales at that point, which is kind of like what then later started turning into like streams and where we're at today, right? So it really like changed it. Unfortunately, by the time they changed the rules, the song was declining in its popularity. And so I think it I think it only charted for a couple of weeks and peaked at number 42. So at that point, it was like kind of past its prime by the time they took note of like, we've, this song is huge. It's ridiculous. It never, you know, charted at number one on a Billboard Hot 100 chart. And so Billboard changed the rules as a result of this song. So that's, that's some impact. So that's why it's coming in at number 13. And then number 12. Oh man, I love No Doubt Like Crazy Guys. They, for those of you that have followed me pre-podcast when I was just doing my music blog, you might remember my music blog was called Tragic Kingdom. That was a nod to our number 12 artist, No Doubt, and of course their single, Don't Speak. I was so obsessed with this band and Gwen Stefani and everything about that Tragic Kingdom album defined so much of my love for music. And, you know, if, if I was doing more of like a rock list of the songs that I loved, because, you know, some of my first albums, Tragic Kingdom was one of them, Green Day's Dookie. The other one that I threw in there was Coolio's Gangsta's Paradise. But, you know, I had a, I had a wide range of musical uh, influence and uh, appreciation at a young age, but, but No Doubts Don't Speak is such a, familiar, nostalgic pop song. And I mean, Gwen's voice has never been better in that song. And it's just, it's so gorgeous. And so that's coming in at number 12, followed by the number 11 song. It's it's a pop one. And again, another like one hit wonder from the 90s, but man, do I still love him. Ace of Bass coming in at number 11 with The Sign. It topped Billboard's Hot 100 for six non-consecutive weeks in the United States, and it made them the first Swedish group to simultaneously have a number one song and number one album on the Hot 100 and Billboard 200, respectfully. So, I mean, obviously they were having a huge year in 1993 with the release of The Sign, and, you know, they, they had several singles from that, album, but I feel like we didn't really hear much from them after that. And it was truly, prob- I mean, it probably is one of the first times that as a child, I recognized that I loved pop music because it was like, I became kind of obsessed with Ace of Bass. I had liked, you know, songs that my mom and was listening to and you know, other friends or people in my life like that would, they would have on and I would, you know, I would like those songs and I was always a music fan, 
But I feel like in 93, the sign was like, I truly kind of made a decision that, oh, I really like this song. This song is for me. And so um, I was I was a young kid loving pop music and it was my pop music awakening. So coming in at number 11, The Sign by Ace of Bass in 93. Um, and then here we go, our top 10. Number 10, she is the voice, the diva of my era. Christina Aguilera's Genie in a Bottle, coming out in 1999. So just making this list of the 90s. Obviously, it was her debut single. She's fresh off of the Mickey Mouse Club. She was late to the game because we already had from the Mickey Mouse Club, you know, we knew Ryan... Um, we knew uh, Carrie Russell. We knew JC and Justin and NSYNC. We obviously had Britney. And then Christina came into the fold as well. And so we already knew that we like we were in this bubblegum pop haze. And so she delivered with this Max Martin smash, Genie in a Bottle. And, you know, her thing was always that she wanted to showcase herself as a vocalist more so than a dancer or being kind of this pop music person that was uh, that was really sort of the impactful people back in that time. Like, you know, we had Backstreet and NSYNC and Britney and everyone was like, you got to be a dancer, you got to be this whole package. And so Genie in the Bottle was really the first single to introduce her in that way. But, you know, Christina always wanted to be known as the vocalist and then later went on to, you know, showcase her vocal talents in a lot of ways and ultimately with other songs and albums and but this kicked it off and man Christina uh, the 90s list of pop music would not be complete without Christina even though she's just getting in at that last year in 99 another big year for pop music um, that will make the list but uh, she had to of course be included Love me some Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina is life. All right. And then number nine, another 1999 song, Live in La Vida Loca by Ricky Martin. Oh, yeah, you know it. I remember when I was watching the Grammys with my mother and Ricky Martin came on and sang, I believe it was the Cup of Life because it was the World Cup song. Um, on the Grammys. And it was like, he was this Latin performer, sang in Spanish, you know, but it was this like wild performance and he had these leather pants on. He was gyrating his hips like crazy. And it was like, I remember like my mom sort of having like a reaction <laughs> to it. Um, and then it was like, suddenly he was everywhere. He was this like sex symbol. And it was kind of like, I mean, he was the Latin Elvis because everyone was talking about him moving his hips and the leather pants and all the stuff. And shortly following that, he came out with his first English uh, uh, language album and Live in La Vida Loca kicked it off. I mean, it really brought Latin music to the mainstream and made him a global superstar and obviously he went on and and later this wasn't in the 90s but you know I'll I'll just do a quick shout out to Ricky and Christina Aguilera later released a uh, duet I believe it was on Ricky Martin's second album um I don't feel like 
it gets enough attention, but man, did I love it. Nobody wants to be lonely. If you guys haven't been like introduced to that song, the video is a little bit chaotic. Her hair is a little bit too much, but, um, but the two of them together, that song, man, love it. But yes, uh, but that came out in the 2000s. So when we get to that, maybe that will make an appearance. Who knows? Um, but live in La Vida Loca, it was so huge. And obviously, you know, for me, it felt really impactful later finding out Ricky Martin was a gay, um, a gay pop music icon. Um, and so, you know, just being, being a fan early on. And it also, uh, reminds me a lot of my mom, like just live in La Vida Loca and her, I remember, like I said, I remember that reaction that she had watching the Grammy performance. Like she was really enamored by this artist and what he was delivering and, and not just in his pants, but, you know, delivering just the spectacle of it all. And it was like, I had never really been super introduced to Latin music and Ricky Martin introduced that in a really big way. And so, um, so yeah, I, I had to put it on the list. It comes in at number nine. And then number eight, I don't think this is going to be any surprise to people that this makes the list uh, because it it was a pop culture phenomenon at, in itself as the song, but it also was the song to a film that was a pop culture phenomenon in the 90s. And of course, I'm talking about My Heart Will Go On by Celine Dion. Came out in 1995 um, and of course was the theme to Titanic. Um, And I mean, My Heart Will Go On is going to be forever one of those great movie soundtrack songs. But even beyond that, it was an incredible pop song. I mean, Miss Celine Dion... Um, she delivers so much, like her catalog is incredible, but there is something about my heart will go on that when it comes on, it takes you to another world. And, um, of course, just at how big it was, it's certainly, I mean, I have to say that it must be her career song. I, I don't know that for sure because again I don't I'm not Billboard so I don't have the stats in front of me but I feel like it has to be her biggest song of of her entire career. Um she's had so many which is why I I question it but I mean truly truly like what a massive song. I mean it's it's a song of the 90s and it came out smack dab in the middle of the 90s and I feel like for years people were listening to that song and the Titanic sort of craze went on for years and years to come. So, um, so Celine is making the list at number eight with my heart will go on. And at number seven, we've got another one of my pop divas coming in from 1990. So kicking off this era, we've got Vogue by Madonna. I mean, do I need to say anything more? I mean, I just take it in. Um, such an iconic song you know it was a pop anthem it topped the charts it set new trends in fashion and music i mean it was it was truly sort of the gateway to what the 90s gave us with pop music it introduced so many sounds and flavors and the way i mean madonna was always such an iconic artist and the way that she reinvented herself and 
you know, even in in the nineties, it's when you look at what she delivered in that 10 year span, it's like, there was, there's so much to choose from. But when you really think about like, what is an iconic song that really defined the nineties, Vogue is her song that had to make the list, um, at least for me. And, um, yeah, so that's why it comes in at number seven. Um, and number six, from 1994, TLC's Waterfalls. Oh, TLC, what do you guys think? I loved them. I, like, I didn't really know what was, you know, obviously Waterfalls, there's such meaningful lyrics, um, and there's, it's really a very sad and, and pretty dark song. Um, but it was, I like just, I loved everything about it. I loved the imagery of the, uh, video. Remember them standing out on the middle of the water and doing the, the thumb dance. I, I was like enamored by them and I really felt something when, when they sang, I mean, their soulful vocals and, the way that they just sort of came together and then left eye with her rapping, but like it, it was like digestible rap. Like it wasn't at the, because in the nineties we had some like, you know, obviously we had some like really hard gangsters rap, um, that was dominating at the time. And so hearing like this pop sort of take on rap music and hip hop, like really became digestible. And, you know, later, I'm, I'll talk through kind of how pop and hip hop come together, but I really like, I feel like Left Eye was a true pop rap artist and the way that she put things together, it was just so clever. And I always loved her raps. I always like was, I couldn't understand why her raps like weren't on the album versions for their biggest songs. Like if you go and buy the TLC album, it's not the waterfalls version doesn't have her rap and the same thing happened on no scrubs it's like it's not on there and i don't understand why they did that um because to me like that's the whole package of those songs that became so iconic um but obviously you know one of the most memorable r&b songs of the 90s with such a mes message of um and, that, and tlc was really known for you know putting messages in their songs and music and, and they certainly did that with waterfalls. And so, um, that's why it's coming in at number six. Now we have arrived to the top five. And when I tell you that this was no easy feat, okay. And I'm going to be honest, there are people, even as I'm going through this with you right now, there are, there are changes that I'm questioning in my mind. Because when you get down to the top five and you pick top five songs that are the like defined this like era, this 10 year span of pop music that was so instrumental in making me who I am, it's really, really tough. So, but I'm going to stick with it. We're going to go for it. All right. You ready? You ready for it? Number five. I Want It That Way by the Backstreet Boys. Now, again, 1999, so we're just making this cutoff. But this was not, obviously, the Backstreet Boys' first uh, introduction 
in the of the 90s we had their whole first album which was self-titled backstreet boys and uh we had so so much music from that as long as you love me quit playing games with my heart um everybody backstreet's back i mean we had a lot of music they were on top of the world but in 1999 they released their album millennium and i want it that way was the first single the video at the airport hangar i mean it's such a classic pop song beloved by fans worldwide even today still um and it really to me the reason that this makes the list and i'm just gonna say it i'm gonna spoil something now on the list of this top five nsync does not make the list okay are you still with me have i lost you and i realize that right now nsync is making a comeback and it's hard it's hard for me too i am i'm still reeling okay they were on the list and then i kept bumping them down and ultimately i'm just going to explain myself because when when it came to the split between nsync and bsb i was i felt like i was firmly planted in the middle but i knew as as most of the real fans told me that was unacceptable you don't you don't sit firmly in the middle of this fight you have to pick a side and without hesitation i always picked nsync okay so this is why it's so hard for me i am an nsync stan there is no one better than justin timberlake and jc chazay sharing the microphones for the majority of those songs i loved them they were better dancers they put on a better show i always would have picked nsync now with that said at some point i will probably do a similar list of the 2000s and i think at that point we can talk a little bit more about nsync okay so just if you if you started to turn me tune me out because i just told you that they didn't make the list come back to me because the way that i look at this is that backstreet boys did come out first we got two great pop albums from both of them as they released their debuts and then they really defined themselves as like outside of boy band boy bands in their sophomore albums they kind of went in two different directions in that like one was super dancey they like really had like the hard um hard kind of bubblegum beats whereas like backstreet kind of took like a softer approach and quite frankly i want it that way is one of the best pop songs that i think has ever been written and so when you think about it it's like it was one of the biggest pop song or the best pop songs ever written it was one of the biggest songs of the 90s because it came out in 99 and millennium the the album that it kicked off became one of the like fastest selling albums of all time at the time and then i think nsync like broke that record and then they like went back and forth but at the time it i remember the millennium craze was like wow the boy band era it has arrived and so i feel like i want it that way really represents the pinnacle of that boy band phenomenon in the late 90s 
And so that is why I chose it to represent both. But that's why I want it that way. It comes in at number five. Now, number four, from 1995, we have Fantasy by Mariah Carey. Again, another artist who, I mean, one of the first cassette tapes that I ever had was Music Box by Mariah Carey. And I would listen to it on my boombox in the garage, singing along to every song. I loved Misa Mariah Carey. And it, she's another one, like Madonna, where you, when you look at the catalog from those 10 years, it's like, wow, we have a lot to choose from here. And a lot of huge, iconic pop songs. So how did I land on Fantasy from... Um, the Daydream album, which this was the first lead single from the Daydream album. It was really because the remix of the song, it features a rap verse from Old Dirty Bastard. And this is kind of the first time, not, not kind of, this is the first time that we had a crossover pop song in the hip hop market. And Fantasy Today is credited for introducing R&B and hip-hop collaborations into mainstream pop music. So this is the first time that we had a, a rap artist featured on a pop song. I mean, isn't that crazy to think about? When you think about all of the features that have come since, I mean, Nicki Minaj's whole career was based on being a feature on pop songs. I mean, you know... Uh, Ice Spice, it was just featured on Taylor Swift's Karma. Like, this fantasy is the first song that they had a feature from a rap artist in a pop, pop, like a mainstream pop song. And from there, Mariah Carey did it so many times after that, too, continuing to really, like, stake her claim in this sort of crossover genre space. And so for that fantasy had to be chosen as the as the song to make the list and it comes in at number four so number three our other diva try it on me because you know mariah and her were often pitted against each other but ultimately we we believe them to be friends whitney houston i will always love you comes in at number three from 1992 now we were talking about um, My Heart Will Go On as one of the biggest songs from a movie soundtrack. This is probably the biggest song from a movie soundtrack. It was obviously the song originally recorded in, I think, like 1970s um, by Dolly Parton. Uh, Whitney took it and put it on the Bodyguard soundtrack. And I mean, everything about it, again, this is a song that when you when you think about Whitney Houston, you don't think about her without thinking about this song. I mean, this is truly her career song and will forever be one of the biggest songs of pop music history and certainly long over just the 90s. And so it had to be in my top three. It's also what pushed, you know, Whitney above Mariah, because I know that some of you might be be feeling salty about that decision. But truly, I Will Always Love You is one of the biggest songs of all time. Um, some stats that I do have on that, just to kind of give you some perspective on that. Um, 
Whitney's version of the song, it peaked at number one on the Billboard Hot 100 and then stayed there for a record-breaking 14 weeks. So that was record-breaking at the time. Since then, I think I think Adele has broken that record. I think several other artists have broken that record. But um, 14 weeks in a row, this song was number one the, when it was released. It was also certified diamond, making it her first diamond single. It was the third, she became the third female artist who had both a diamond single and a diamond album. And remember, this is before we had like streaming and people bought singles. This was like when you still bought the album. So to have a number one or diamond single back in this day was much harder than actually having a diamond album because people had to buy the album. And it also became the best-selling single led by a, fe a female in the United States. And the song was a global success, topping the charts in almost all the countries. With over 20 million copies sold, it's become the best-selling single of all time by a female solo artist. It was also the world's best-selling single of 1992. So... When you think, when you look at all of those stats and you think about how iconic this song is and how many people have covered it and who, you know, think about that song when they tribute, uh, when they do tributes to Whitney, I mean, it's just, it's a powerhouse. And of course, that's why it came in at number three. Now, my number, my top two are very specific for little old Chris Vetrano here. Um, but I think that I've got some people out there that are going to agree with my choices and understand them. But coming in at number two, from 1996, we've got Wannabe by the Spice Girls. It's the catchy, empowering debut single that launched the global sensation that was the Spice Girls. And I was obsessed Okay, we talked about Ace of Bass, and like that was when I realized I loved pop music, like as a as a person on my own deciding. This was when I realized that I was obsessed with pop music and wanted to work in the music industry. I wanted to be a part of anything that I could get my hands on with, I mean, not just the Spice Girls, but with music in general. It really, really defined me. It, growing up, it's really when I went from playing with like toys to all I wanted to do was go spend all of my allowance on singles and albums. And, you know, I started, you know, going to every weekend, I would have my parents take me to, you know, Media Play or Best Buy or whatever, you know, record stores that there were back then, Sam Goody in the mall. And I would always go to the singles section because I would get like my allowance and I would go to the singles section and I would just scroll through and find anything that looked like pop music. It was like, if the artwork looked poppy, if it looked like it was, you know, something that I might like, I bought it because they were like a dollar or like a dollar 99 or something. They were super cheap and I could buy a bunch of them. And then I would go home and I would just like devour them and learn everything I could about these artists. And, you know, this is also the Spice Girls era is also when, you know, the singles would come with a B-side that wasn't on the album. So every time they released a new single, it was like, oh, I have to go get the single because there's another new song on it. 
and I was obsessed. So the Spice Girls, the the girl power movement that they represented, I bought into all of it, and I was, I I was a Spice Girl stan. And when I said this is very specific to me, is the Spice Girls were the very first concert that I ever went to. So, um, though I I didn't often admit that, I my mother took me in Colorado. We went to the Fiddler's Green Amphitheater to see the Spice Girls. And I tell when I tell you that I woke up that morning with like a 101 degree fever, I was devastated. My mom let me stay home from school because I was so sick and was like, we can't go. And I said, I'm going to stay home. I'm going to take medicine all day and I'm going to put like cold rags until this fever comes down. And sure enough, I didn't feel great. But I felt good enough that I was like, I'm going, I'm not missing this. And I will tell you that, that Ginger, Jerry Halliwell left the band shortly, I think it was like days prior to the show. And she was still on all the merchandise that they had. My mom bought me the Spice Girls World Tour t-shirt and I had the program and Jerry was on all of it because they didn't have time to, to switch anything out. And even though she wasn't there, it was still one of the most entertaining and thrilling experiences of my life. And so I was a Spice Girls fan and stan and still am today. I know the dances. I know every B-side. I know it all. And it all started with Wanna Be in 1996. And that is why the Spice Girls Wanna Be is my number two song of the 90s, which leads us to number one. And I, I don't think that people are going to, you know, come for me on this, but also there might be some folks that don't agree. But again, these are my, this is me. In 1998, I was introduced to little Britney Jean Spears. And when she burst on the scene with her single, Baby One More Time, the little closeted gay boy inside of me was bursting with pride. I devoured it. And I'm going to tell you, I just told you I used to buy the singles. It was one of the songs. She had like autumn, um, autumn reddish brown hair and it didn't look poppy at all. It kind of like looked like it was like a Natalie Imbruglia style or like Michelle Branch or something. But I bought it and I was like, what is this Britney Spears baby one more time? I've got to like get my ears on it. And I took it home and within the first opening chord, I was obsessed. And in 98, when this song came out, it obviously catapulted Britney into the star that she has become. She remains one of the most iconic pop divas, pop artists of all time. And she was one of the, I mean, this song was one of the most iconic pop songs of the nineties, even though it came out late in the, you know, in 98, whenever you look up a nineties playlist on Spotify or Apple music, it will a hundred percent. I, I can't, I will not accept if it doesn't, but I would say at a hundred percent of the time it will have baby one more time on it because it is an iconic song. 
And for me, it really, I mean, it took what I had in my love for the Spice Girls and it amplified it by a thousand. I, I was recording every performance, every appearance that she was having on TRL and all the talk shows and, oh God, the Rosie O'Donnell show, don't get me started. Um, cause Rosie loved her and always had her on. I would record those on my VHS and I would watch them over and over and over again. Also learned a lot of those dances. Um, sometimes if, uh, if I have enough to drink uh, at a party, you might see me whip uh, a couple of the moves out. Um, but there has to be drinks involved. I won't do it on command. Uh, but my gosh, my love for Brittany. And we, we have definitely talked about that on the podcast before. Um, we're going to be doing a Britney Spears deep dive episode very shortly. But I love Britney so much. And it all started in 1998 with her debut single, Baby One More Time, which is why it is my number one choice on the 15 pop songs that defined the 90s. So we've reached the end. What did you guys think? Did I, did I hit all the songs that you were thinking of? Did I leave off your favorites? I would love to know, and I would love to hear what songs defined the 90s for you because the 90s were such an incredible time in pop culture really there was so much in pop culture that we still think of today that we call back to today there's so much of the 90s that's being rebooted today and and that includes fashion and television and so i needed to count down the songs that did it for me and um, I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, let me know. I'm at uh, CM Vetrano at all of the socials. So I would love to hear from you. I would love to hear what songs um, you feel like I missed and what songs you agree with me, what choices you agree with me on. So um, follow me on socials. Let me know. And of course, don't forget to rate and subscribe so that you never miss an episode of The Gist. Um, next week, I've got a very exciting guest. Um, you know him from his exciting podcast. I mean, it in itself is a pop culture phenomenon. Um, his podcast, Everything Iconic, uh, and he's releasing a new book, and he's coming to talk to me about it next week. And of course, I'm talking about Danny Pellegrino. And when we talk about 90s nostalgia, Danny and I are so aligned. So I'm very excited to have him. So be sure that you rate and subscribe so that you don't miss that episode. Let me know how you liked this one. And um, until next week, thank you so much for listening. And uh, it's been Chris Vetrano signing off. Have a great weekend. Bye.